When the big man is out, the boys come out to play. It's WTMJ Now. News. Opinion. Wisconsin. Here are your hosts, Joe Zapecki and Bill McCaution. Just take those old records off the shelf. Charlie's killing it today with the intros. I love it. I didn't know we had that promo in the can. That's right? the first I time I've heard that. Somebody taped that last week. I love it. <laughs> So, uh, welcome back to Hour 3 of WTMJ Now. I'm Bill McCoshin from the right, sitting in with Joe Zapecki from the left. Steve Scafidi, our good buddies, out uh, today on a much-needed day off. But we'll be back Friday for the Political Power Hour. And Steve will be back tomorrow. Steve will be back tomorrow. So, this is MAPS Week, okay? I thought last week was MAPS Week. No, no, no. <laughs> this is MAPS Week. According to our Supreme Court, MAPS have to be ch- a map needs to be chosen by February 1st, or the court will ask their two new $100,000 consultants to draw maps. So what say you? Do we need to be in all this chaos over maps? I like maps mania. It's a little more alliterative than yeah, maps I like chaos. So you got to catch me up. So last week we had the legislature try to get maps that would have superseded the six or seven that have been submitted to the court. Right. Right. And so right. listen, Evers isn't going to sign what the legislature passed. He may have vetoed it already. They're not going to get another crack at this. The court is going to now assess the six maps or seven Correct. maps. And so that that clock starts February 1, which is what, Thursday morning? Thursday morning. What? That's not when they choose one of them, though. Uh, they could, but it's more likely they'll choose a path. They could choose a map on, on Thursday, okay. but it's more likely they'll choose a path uh, that'll play out over the following six weeks. So somewhere around the middle of March, we expect to have "quote unquote" final maps. That, of course, is barring any appeals to the United States Supreme Court. Okay. At this point, I, I am confident that this is a job for the court, and I did not like the rhetoric last week, particularly from Republicans. And this part specifically. Listen, I I wish we lived in a world where legislatures and governors could work together and draw maps that were fair, as opposed to incumbent protection maps yeah and i have a real problem with legislators coming out and saying they drew me out of my district it ain't your district assembly person or state senator and the people's district exactly it is the people's district and what i thought republicans by going so hard on that last week and saying these were my district they drew me out they kind of gave Democrats an opening just on the messaging front on this to say this is exactly why you can't trust politicians to do these maps. This is what Democrats have been saying for years. Politicians should not pick their voters. Voters should pick their politicians. And a true Iowa-style redistricting commission takes the politicians out of it. So why won't the governor, governor agree to that? Because now? it wasn't Iowa style. They tried to call it Iowa style, but there were still politicians in the legislature involved. The legislative council said they were substantially similar. Similar. There were no noticeable differences. So let me start from the big picture and take it back to today, sure. where we're at. This could have been solved last fall. Republicans said uncle, if you want to, if you will, uh, on the Iowa maps. They've been saying no for a decade. Finally, the Republicans said, we'll do an Iowa-style map. It had minor differences from the actual Iowa model as to what happens if there is an agreement between the governor and the legislature. Just to be clear, the legislature is the only one who has the constitutional power to redistrict. So uh, there is that. 
The assembly passed it. The Senate chose not to pass it at the time. That was, a, I think, a political mistake. I think they should have done that, put it on the governor's desk, and held his feet to the fire. He had said in the 2018 campaign, he said in the 2022 campaign, he wants fair maps, he's for the Iowa model. So let, you know, put his money where his mouth is. We didn't do that. Uh, and I think that was a tactical mistake on Republicans' point part. The Supreme Court race last spring turned out to be a massive sea change in where this court is going. And we all knew that during the race. Some of us tried to project a different path. <laughs> That's not the path we got. And we got slaughtered by 11 points. So Janet Protasiewicz, the new pro- progressive majority, has said, yeah, these maps aren't contiguous. By the way, that is the most nonsense argument ever because we haven't had contiguous maps in the state of Wisconsin for the past 50 years. There are political islands, largely from annexation, or those that have no voters in them at all, that have existed in every set of maps that have been drawn either by Republicans in 2011 or by the courts in every other cycle. So uh, I think they used a very narrow uh, uh, criteria to get themselves to a point where they could say, "Ah, new maps, we need new maps. And then they added something. They have to have sort of the partisan breakdown, which has never been in the map. Yeah, I don't, lo- I don't love that. I, I think it was. I think that's actually the pathway to get to the U.S. Supreme Court. Myself, I'm not an attorney. That's something for Steve to talk with Rick Essenberg about. But I, I think that's their weakest point is is that ha- there has to be some political makeup. So, fast forward to today, Republicans last week said, "Okay, we're gonna the court's gonna do what the court's gonna do. There's nothing we can do to stop that. So let's take Governor Evers' maps." which were highly gerrymandered. I agree with you. These aren't any individual lawmakers' seat. They're the people's seats. Uh, I don't think that was our greatest argument, but I think it does illustrate how gerrymandered the governor's maps were when he put 30 Republican lawmakers into the same seat. In different areas of the state, it was, it was intentional, which is the definition of gerrymandering. So we go from what you uh, Democrats have said as a Republican gerrymander to a Democrat gerrymander. I think it's all bad. And the sad part is, Joe, we could see this all again next summer if Brad Schimmel or Jennifer Doro or whomever wins the Supreme Court back for the conservative majority. The politics never stops. Not in Wisconsin, not on WTMJ. We're in for Steve. A little bit more to go here. I think we we might have a few more takes on the maps after the break. Uh, If you want to weigh in, WTMJ Talk and Text Line is open, 855 616 one six twenty. More with me, Joe, and Bill after the break. Welcome back. Uh, this is Joe. I'm the Democratic strategist in the room, alongside my friend Bill McCosh, and the Republican strategist in the room. We're just the old guy al- had to we're, sit down. We're chugging along. The old guy had to sit down. I'm Pat McAfee in it today. If you're watching on the live stream, I hope they're angled up. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna tear tear the sleeves off, Hulk style. Yeah. You got to pay extra for that. A um, little bit more conversation around the maps before we change topics. Uh, a texter from the 262, not familiar with the term Iowa maps. Can you please explain? So in the Wisconsin state constitution, the legislature and the governor are empowered to deter, to draw legislative districts for the state of Wisconsin. Do I have that right? Uh, not exactly. The, the governor's assumed. They're, he's not okay. actually mentioned not in the explicit, constitution. It's implicit. Yes. Okay. So that's a power given to the legislature. Correct. In Iowa, their constitution names their state Supreme Court as sort of the final arbiter. That's correct. So what they do in Iowa, as I understand the Iowa model, mm-hmm. is not that the legislators sit down and draw a map and then they submit it to the Supreme Court. 
is that they have a commission. They have a third-party commission. A third-party commission of like retired judges, yep. experts, panelists, who they create maps, then submit them to the state Supreme Court, Correct. and then Iowa's Supreme Court says yay or nay Correct. and signs off on it. So Correct. that's, from my standpoint, that takes the politicians out of it. Right. There's politics involved in everything, right? But No question. It, it certainly insulates politics from it more so than a process where you have a legislator, a legislature empowered to deal with maps. This is similar to the immigration situation where the governor had an opportunity, and he still does, frankly, the bills on his desk to sign the maps he introduced with, I would say, modest changes. If there's changes, they're not his maps. But that's they, a, but that's they a are. nice slate of hand. They, but, like, but they are, right? And, and while... Whether some agree or disagree with the strategy to go forward with that, there was risk involved for sure. But I think the the calculation was he he would veto it, and they'd be able to say that. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. But my hope is, Joe, that this Supreme Court, uh, progressively led, lets these independent consultants actually draw the maps. If we're at this point where we're going to put our our voters through all of this over the next couple of months. And oh, by the way, there may be a congressional map case coming. There's now one that's been filed. So we're not done with this. Then let the outsiders draw the maps. We were talking during the break about, you know, the reality of this is that we live in a world where with statistical analysis and computational models and the, you could do the, this at the home granularity that there are people who do do it at home. And so anybody whether they're a politician or not, or a judge or not, anybody who submits a map is going to be able to score it, right. giving historical election outcomes. And that's where you see, so like there's been six or seven maps you know, submitted to the court, and people have been on the internet sort of scoring them. This, is, this map would bake in probably this many Republican seats and probably this many Democratic seats. Right. This many would be genuine toss-up seats. We can't unring the bell of living in that world. And so for my druthers, what I want to see then, if this is the world we live in, one way or the other, I want to get us to a place where we have more districts that are more competitive, right? So neither side is sort of guaranteed a drawn majority that it ultimately comes down to those independent, moderate swing voters in the middle who determine not just individual races, but ultimately control of the legislature, because I think that's the only way you can make the legislature more responsive to the changing whims of the public. And that's how this is supposed to work. So let's talk about scoring. So I have said, I said a couple of minutes ago, I think the contiguousness argument is actually legal precedent. It's baked in and has been for 50 years. It's, it's not the strongest uh, argument against the current maps. But but since this Supreme Court has said it is a major criteria, then if you score the six maps that have been submitted, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty scores best. Theirs is the most contiguous. It splits the fewest number of communities, the fewest number of counties. It doesn't deal with something called least change, which means you have to do as little as possible to exist from in the district. last time. Yeah. Uh, which was a legal uh, theory at the time, and, and it was approved by the United States Supreme Court. And now we're dealing with contiguousness and partisan makeup, which are two very different things. Uh, but if, if contiguousness is the number one issue, and I think that's what this Supreme Court said it was, then the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty maps are the best. So what happens next? February 1, 
February 1, the court could choose one of the maps and they that, do that been at submitted. any point between February 1 and mid-March? Right. Or, or there's not are there further like rounds of I think it goes till like March 15th. Got it. Um, they have to be done by then. Or you know, they can turn it over to these consultants through the month of February to try and come up with something different and then the Supreme Court would stamp them as approved. Uh, people would start running, start raising money, figure out if you're you got to say <laughs> goodbye to a, a a longtime colleague because you're in the same seat uh, or whatever. Um, but it's it, it the end of session is also going on, and we're going to talk about taxes in the next segment. This complicates everything else that's going on in the building. All lawmakers are focused on is where are my district lines? Do I, do I still represent, quote, the 73rd Assembly District, which is my hometown of Superior? Got a new bridge coming up there, I don't do you? I'm getting a new yeah. bridge. Who do, you have we to need thank, it. who do you have to thank for that? I I would say Pete Stauber from Duluth, right? <laughs> and, and Tom who, Tiffany, who voted no on <laughs> the uh, on the bipartisan. How about yeah. that? Um, <laughs> I got a funny story about the Blotnick Bridge. Someday I'll tell you. How long does it take? We got a minute here. All right. Well, the Blotnick Bridge has some connection to my father voting against Jimmy Carter. So in 1980, Carter imposed a grain embargo on Russia. There were grain trucks lined up over the Blotnick Bridge from Superior, Wisconsin to Cloquet, Minnesota. If you don't know the geography, that's 35 miles. Those were guys from Iowa or somewhere else who couldn't unload their, unload their grain because it wasn't being shipped out. Yep. That's when the Twin Ports started to go from deep blue to slightly red. And that's where I believe, at least in Wisconsin, folks like my dad became Reagan Democrats. Wow. Gotta well, I've got a connection to the Blotnick Bridge. Gotta love the history. That Blotnick yeah. Bridge is going to be replaced or repaired? Repaired. repaired. Serious repair. It's a billion Big, dollars. Billion dollar job. Thanks right now to they the, can't put truck traffic on it. Well, that's not good. It's not good. Yeah. No. And so the that is part of the bipartisan infrastructure deal. Joe Biden was in Wisconsin last week. In Superior. Heralding that uh, and reminding folks that uh, those... There's Republicans around the country taking credit for infrastructure pro- projects. A little pork in a here bill and there goes a long that way. They voted against on the floor <laughs> of the Congress. Eight politics, great. Love it. I know Charlie loves it. We're having a good time today. We got to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little taxes, and then we're going to get into the really fun one. Bill is going to try to educate me about what is happening in his, uh, you know, slice of the internet. With whether or not Taylor Swift is an op, I'm not even sure I know what that means. So Bill's going to coach me up, give me the latest need to know on Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, and maybe taking we'll us out today. Punk- puncture some conspiracy theories along the way. This is WTMJ now. Come on back with us. Welcome back to WTMJ now. This is Joseph Pecky. I'm alongside my friend Bill McCosh, and we're sitting in for Steve Scafidi. And boy, if he could just see the number of texts rolling in talking about how much better we are without him. <laughs> I, again, those are the <laughs> texture's words, not, not my true. words. I would never suggest that. We can't wait to be back with Steve on Friday. Um, Bill teased it before the break. So the other, outside of the maps, and I understand, you know, it is a great point that while this maps drama plays out, a lot of the bandwidth, you know, in legislators' brains goes to where are my district lines? Am I going to run again? If I run again, who am I going to have to run against? Is it going to have to be a colleague from the same party? And we need them to legislate also and to deal with some maybe leftover business that was unresolved in the budget process last year. Part of that is we're still sitting on a surplus and a tax deal did not get done right. last year. So what do we know about what Republicans rolled out last week and what do we think the likelihood is that it sees action in the next couple of weeks? 
Well, it'll see action. It'll be on the floor of the state assembly on February 13th, uh, and it'll pass. The question is, will it be bipartisan in nature? And frankly, if I'm up or maybe up in a brand new seat, which all 99 are going to be faced with, I got to look hard at this. So a little bit of backstory. The Republicans have passed two, two major tax cuts, one in the budget and then one last fall, both of which the governor vetoed. Uh, they believe this third attempt addresses all of his concerns. It, it, it takes care of retirees. It actually uh, helps middle class the most by raising sort of the second to lowest bracket, makes it bigger. So 38000 isn't the family income anymore. It's 150000 where you get the lower tax amount at 4.4%. I give Speaker Voss credit, uh, Co-Chairman Mark Bourne, uh, Co-Chairman uh, Howard Markline, and Devin Lemmy, who the majority leader in the Senate, credit for not giving up. I mean, this is a little like Lucy with the football. They've tried twice already, and the governor's pulled away the football. Taxpayers are hurting. We know that. We can disagree that the stats out there economically are improving, and that's probably factually true, but people aren't feeling it. And Republicans are working really hard to make sure that they get some of their hard-earned money back in their pockets. So the governor was open on this new tax cut last week on a couple programs I saw him on. He didn't commit to anything. But, uh, you know, from a political standpoint, this might not be the best thing to do. It might be better to run against Democrats who've already voted twice against tax cuts. Oh, Bill but loves playing politics. He's going to give them one more. Republicans are going to give you one more chance, Joe. <laughs> it's up to your party to take that chance or we're taking our ball and we're going home. Wow. That's okay. Um, so this, in addition to being an income tax adjustment, there would be credits for retirees on fixed income. And child care. Child care. Significant uh, increase the marriage uh, tax credit right. to keep like basically that hasn't been adjusted here in Wisconsin since 2001, right. and it would get it back to where it would have been had you indexed that for inflation over time. So I, I think it's good for Wisconsin. I think that, that those last thing, couple things that I mentioned, those are the relatively easy ones: the child care tax credit, the senior tax credit, and the marriage tax credit. I, if I were advising the governor, I would say that that part, let's do it. I still have questions about the middle class portion of it because we want to make sure that that is as targeted as possible. I don't think it's possible with this legislature to go back to where we were. Remember, they it just cut an entire bracket. It still strikes me as a little bizarre that your 38000 and first dollar is taxed at the same level as your 149999th dollar. And that gets fixed. That's a big stretch. And Agreed. so... That's what what I want to see the details on is to make sure that, as Evers has said over and over again, this really is benefiting the middle class and is targeted. Republican legislators are saying they're listening and they've heard the governor, and that's why they structured it this way. The devil is in the details. The proof of the pudding is in the tasting. So that's what we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks as this goes through committee and then to the floor or straight to the floor on the 13th? Uh, it'll go through committees this week. It'll go to the Joint Finance Committee. It'll be on the floor of the Senate or the Assembly on the 13th. The Assembly is going to meet four more times in this month of February, and then they'll be done. For the, the year? Yeah. The Senate, wait, 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 wait. The Senate. They don't have to go to work from March until November? They'll be, they'll be fighting maps in the Supreme Court. Why do we have a full-time legislature again? <laughs> it's not very different than uh, German times of any other legislature in the history of the state of Wisconsin. But they're going to generally go to March and the Senate is going to go till March and so they will be the last body to vote on this tax cut before it goes to the governor. 
But I, I think there will be bipartisan support. Uh, the question is whether or not the governor will sign it this time. So before they take a nine-month break for Valentine's Day, they might give everybody a marriage tax cut, uh, marriage tax credit sweetener on February 13th. We love that, right? <laughs> With a heart on it. You got your and Valentine's Day chocolate. plans? What are, you, what are you doing for your sweetie? Ah, it's too early. I got yeah, 15 I, days to her. The, the, you just said February 13th, and I went, oh, what is it with that day? Oh, that's when I usually think about what I get for Valentine's right, Day. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All I right. got time. Uh, so stay tuned on the tax cuts. Maybe we'll have an update uh, on Friday in the Political Power Hour so. with Steve uh, to, to give you the people. Uh, come on back. We're not out of here yet. We're, we're Bill and Joe. No Steve today. He'll be back tomorrow. Uh, keep the texts coming in. You said I was pulling somebody's leg, but... The 262 says, I vote for Bill and Joe as at least once weekly regular new midday hosts. <laughs> I don't know if Steve Scafidi gets that kind of feedback. <laughs> God, I hope he's listening. Come on back after the break. Welcome back to WTMJ Now. I am Democrat Joe Zapecki, alongside my friend Republican Bill McCoshin. We are in for Steve Scafidi. And uh, we've had a lot of fun the last couple of hours. It flies by. It does fly by. Uh, we've chopped it up on immigration. We've talked a lot of football. Uh, we're going to get to some more fun. Uh, and we need to address uh, one of the very serious uh, events that happened in the world over the weekend. Uh, three American service members lost their lives in defense of this country. Uh, a couple dozen, I think the reports were as many as 34, uh, injured uh, after a drone attack on a base in the country of Jordan. Overseas, uh, the uh, drone was launched by what are referred to most commonly as Iranian-backed Houthis. Uh, that is a militia-type group that operates in Iran and parts of Iraq and other parts of the Middle East. Um, this is this is the real stuff. This is you know for all of the shouting and hollering and you know who's up, who's down, and political scoreboard watching. Uh, I think a, a, a very sobering reminder of just how serious. Uh, leadership of this country, our foreign policy, our national security, sort of the state of the world is. Um, and so I just want to uh, first, you know, send my heartfelt uh, condolences to uh, the families of those impacted, uh, certainly the three who lost their life, but also 34 American service members who were injured, who surely have, uh, you know, some, some coming Same. back to do, um, and I'll, you know, feel free to jump in and fully support that. It's uh I think what this last few days has taught us is we have to get serious, right? When when there are U.S. senators in both parties tweeting out bomb Tehran, I, I think that is so unserious and so unadult-like. Uh, that isn't a social media place for that discourse. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons we're such a mess between Israel and Gaza is it's all being fought, I mean, at least here on social media, and people don't have all the facts they need to make informed decisions. If you're a United States senator, we expect you to be cautious, and we expect you to sober. do your homework and be sober. If you are instantly tweeting out, bomb Tehran or take it to them, you're not a serious person whether you're a male or a female. And, and I think it's, it's uh, a learning time for everyone that, hey, there's a lot going on, and, and uh, we're not in the most secure environment we have been. I frankly think that's to Donald Trump's advantage uh, in the fall elections. But let's not, let's not be unserious about this stuff. Let's, let's be sober. Let's be serious. Let's be adults. I agree. It's, you know, you and I both have our teams and we wear our team's jerseys yeah. and we, we advocate for our folks. But I know that we agree on that, which is 
these issues have to be taken more seriously. There has to be less politics and more sanity. Because when you look around the globe, right? I mean, we've got you know the conflict in the Middle East. We've got the conflict in Ukraine, a Russian invasion. You have uh, Latin American countries unstable. You know, I think it was Ecuador where recently, you know, uh, a rebel group took over a broadcast of a major TV station. Uh, there are very serious, very real challenges that impact the United States and our interests. Um, you know, one of the, I will say one of the, in defense of the internet, you know, there has been some <laughs> criticism of the role that the U.S. Uh, military has played in maintaining uh, passage of commercial vessels in like the Red Sea and in some of these areas adjacent to conflicts, which led to, of course, a real uh, history lesson in that actually since the Barbary Pirates and Thomas Jefferson was president, one of the foremost roles of the U.S. military has to been to ensure the safe, you know, uh, production of commerce around right. the world and our navy in 1803 when the pirates of tripoli were uh were, were pirating uh is not what it is today but there is th- this is one of those things that we mean when we shorthand to america is the indispensable nation and we are the superpower that the world needs for there to be any hope of global stability because we have the ability not just to you know, commit materiel and arms and the, the bodies to the soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines who make sure that the world is safe for commerce. We have the convening power to bring our allies from Britain into these types of strikes uh, and into these types of, you know, security plans. And so what I would ask as, you know, this plays out in the next couple of days, and what I mean by this is we don't know, but we believe that there will be a response, President Biden and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin have both said there will be accountability, there will be a response to this most uh, most recent attack from Houthi rebels. Uh, and so in the meantime, senators, congresspeople, you don't need to score points on Twitter. You right. just don't. Right. That, there's no upside to it. it, it uh, I, I'd sit back, let the facts be learned, and then let the response be decided. Uh, I think it'll be bipartisan, maybe not completely, but... Uh, there will be overwhelming support for for a response of some kind. So let the process play out. You don't have to prove you're a tough guy or tough lady on on uh, Twitter or X by you know saying bomb Tehran. I mean, to me, that means you're not serious. Yep. Amen to that. Uh, and and bless the memories of those uh, service members Absolutely. who have lost. Watch over their families. And uh, we're going to uh, find out what Taylor Swift thinks about the Houthis in the next segment, aren't we? Oh boy, we're we're gonna switch gears <laughs> massively in the next segment. Oh, we're bringing it home uh, with some fun. I I there's apparently a whole slice of the internet that I've never been to, and Bill is gonna try to teach me up uh, on what's going on out there. Uh, stay with us more with Joe and Bill on WTMJ now after the break. WTMJ now, that's us. No Steve's graffiti. A couple more segments before we're out of here. Bill's been teasing me all day. He says, Joe, there's a whole conversation <laughs> happening out there that you know nothing about. We've Listen, we talked a lot about Taylor Swift. She's everywhere. She's everywhere. And I think that's good for the world. But apparently there's a whole part of this conversation that suggests maybe she is what? A psyop. A psyop. Democratic Party or the deep state, potentially both. So no wonder I'm such a fan of Taylor Swift. Absolutely. You're in on it. You're totally what, in. What on did it. I do? What did the deep state do here? Like, so they're setting her up with all this media attention and and 
Pfizer boy, Travis Kelsey, oh, right? Oh, my God. Uh, for her endorsement of Joe Biden at the appropriate time. Let, let me say a couple things. Taylor Swift is now dividing my household. My wife, How? Is, my wife is a massive sports fan, which is one of the reasons I love her so much. Okay. She's done with Taylor Swift. I am a massive sports fan. I'm not done with Taylor Swift. I think she's good for the NFL. I think she's good for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think she's bringing more eyeballs in. So I think she's growing the game, believe it or not. So I'm good with her. But on the Internet, and I don't even think this is the dark web. I mean, these are people that I I just got a crazy tweet served to me. I finally got a sense of what you were talking about. That are convinced that she is somehow part of the Democratic machine and that at the appropriate time, she's going to endorse Joe Biden. Let me say a couple of things. Number one, she is the most popular performer in the world, not in the United States, in the world. Mm -hmm. Number two, Travis Kelsey is one of the most popular sports figures in America. They are like the dream couple, right? Whether you like that or dislike that. America's sweethearts. They clearly were in love yesterday. All of that fun stuff. I don't care what she thinks about politics. I expect her to endorse Joe Biden. Let me say something about Donald Trump as a performer himself. If he could get her to endorse, he would. <laughs> he would There's no beat. question he would. So stop the nonsense and the tinfoil hat stuff. She's not some psyop. I'm here to tell you today she will endorse Joe Biden at some point in time. She hasn't. And it she will move voters in the young category. Did she endorse him in 2020? She'd make big cookies I, that like, said Biden 2020 on them. Th- like, I do recall. Now it's coming back to me. That she did something so political within the last couple of months. <laughs> she put out a message encouraging people to register to vote. To vote. Yeah. Can you imagine the nerve? Right. Who does she think she is using her power, using her platform to encourage people to register to vote you among have her said millions this of young about fans? Her. She is a brilliant business person. She is a billionaire, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I don't think she gets overtly political this year because it impacts at least part of her fan base. This is a Michael Jordan rule, right? Republicans buy Nike shoes, too. Um, But I do expect her to probably do something for Biden at some point. Maybe it's at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. I don't know. Oh, I don't know about that. But if I'm the Trump team, I'm working her. I'm trying to get her neutral, either neutral or come to my side because she does sway young women in particular. Like my 28-year-old daughter lives in California, is a Swifty. I think she's been to four concerts, maybe wow. five. Spends ungodly amounts of money say, going to these things. Dad must still be providing it a lot. Oh, no, no. She's a travel <laughs> nurse. She does quite well. That's oh, okay. part yeah. of the reason healthcare costs so much. Trust me. <laughs> so, listen, Taylor Swift is who she is. I think the NFL has shrewdly used her to increase their brand, uh, and she's increased her brand at the same time. All right. So, I, so okay. So, I'm. you've convinced me. Or educated me as to why Republicans are deathly afraid of Taylor Swift. She moves voters. But why are people suggesting she might be a Pentagon asset? What is that? <laughs> I think it has something to do with Kelsey and the Pfizer shot. And and somehow it, it's all pre-planned. I, I don't believe any of that. They, so because he's in, I've seen one commercial that he's in. Yeah. Where you can, and it's not a very good commercial. No, it's you, not. But it's like you can get your flu shot and your COVID booster at the same time. Yeah. The State Farm ad is from, much better. Love, from your friends at Pfizer. Better. Yeah. So that means what? Like, how does that even connect to Taylor <laughs> Swift? He's in, like, he got compensated American dollars oh, yeah. for his name, likeness, and image to appear in an ad. Right. He's doing the ad. But now that he's dating Taylor Swift, more people will care what he has to say it's all set up right you're missing it joe you're you're, you're missing it 
I'm surprised for such a well-read and educated man as you that you can't see how obvious that I can see how this all connects. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's an. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Meme. This election where Charlie Day is like connecting, you know, the the (laughs) strings on the on the chalkboard. My God. Okay. If you for the Chiefs, I'm for Taylor Swift. If you and if you out there, dear listener. If Taylor Swift is getting your blood pressure up because you think she's a Pentagon asset or <laughs> because you're worried she's like a tool for the deep state. Switch the decaf. I, yeah, like choose to care about other things, really. 